Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Vogel, and joining me, as always, is the man who's out of this world, Christian Redshaw. Christian, how are you doing today? It's always so complimentary. I am awesome. <laughs> how are you doing, sir? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm really, really excited for today's guest. Uh, it's James Turgill. Uh, he is a vice president at Optiv. Uh, I, I think we're just be blown away by this conversation. So, I will stop mumbling, and we're going to bring James aboard. Please do. James, thank you so much for joining us on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. How are you doing today? Doing great. Doing great. Thank you. Fantastic. And Christian, I'm really looking forward to having you on the on the show today. And you know, we've we've read your bio with with, with great interest, and uh, you're, you're very well traveled, very very interesting person. So we're re- really looking forward to this conversation. But thought maybe we could start off with you sharing a little bit about your personal and career narrative, and uh, sharing a little bit about yourself, uh, so our listeners and viewers can get to learn a little bit more about you. No, absolutely, and, and thank you for for having me on. So, yeah, I have I have a well traveled past. Uh, you know, grew up in in Scottsdale, Arizona. I have an undergraduate degree from Northern Arizona University in economics. I always wanted to go to law school. I always wanted to be a, a litigating attorney. Uh, went to law school, Western Michigan University. I actually, have a master's of law in corporations and securities regulations from Georgetown. Uh, practiced law for probably almost four years. Hated it. Absolutely hated it. Um, so I, I'm a recovering lawyer uh, for, for all of you out there uh, who are in the same boat. Uh, but I ran off and joined the FBI, uh, worked Colombian, Mexican cartel, hardcore Southwest border drug cases for years. Uh, moved throughout my career, was the special agent in charge of our Arizona field office. So I actually got to go home as the, the, the SAC uh, to, to be the head of the FBI in my hometown, which was very cool, by the way. Um, Went through my career, was also the head of HR, so I was the chief human capital officer, uh, and then ended my career as the executive assistant director for global IT and the FBI CIO. So I'm one of those rare guys that was able to to actually be, you know, the the cyber agent on the street working cases, the head of HR and the head of IT. Wow, that's 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 a heck of a story for an ex lawyer. <laughs> that's absolutely incredible. And you still seem like a nice guy. So yeah. we're we're enjoying the conversation. And we're, <laughs> we're at ease. <laughs> so, in terms of talking about cybercrime, I mean, there's there's a business to it. There's a, a corporate structure a lot of the time. Obviously, there's there's nation states, and you have the individuals. But uh, can you tell us? what you can tell us, what you know about cyber criminals, how are they, how do they organize themselves? What are they after? And how are they going, going after organizations to get what they're looking for? No, that's a, it's a great question. It is. So it is big business. Um, you're actually, I've, I've investigated, um, hundreds and hundreds of cyber cases. Um, been the guy that actually, you know, interviewed these guys, interrogated them, uh, put handcuffs on them. So, I mean, they are, they run this as a business, the, the more organized, uh, both nation state and organized crime uh, types of proxy organizations actually have call centers, they have HR groups uh, that are connected to the actual threat actor group. Um, you know, in a, in a word, they are after data. Uh, you know, I, I meet with boards every day in my, in my uh, day job with Optiv as the vice president of board relations. And, you know, three different areas that I can tell you 
uh, is really critical to understand the whole cyber world. And that's data ecosystems and attack surface. And so the these guys are after data, whether they ransom it, steal it, uh, suppress it or delete it uh, or you know want to take it and then you know broadcast it out on the dark web. Data is everything. And that's exactly what they're after. Um, and as far as preferred attack methods, um, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it all right, whether it's, you know, script kiddies, whether it's the, the guy, you know, the 14 year old sitting in grandma's basement in Belarus with, uh, you know, a bunch of monster energy drinks, you know, <laughs> hacking away at night in a hoodie. This is, you know, the actual like nation states where you have, you know, hundreds sitting in rooms with laptops, just, you know, sitting there coding, you know, uh, banging away at, at, at IP addresses. So I really have seen the, the, the benefit of, of all of those different areas, but they're, they're after the data. That's, that's, that's pretty hard hitting, but very succinct. Can you bring it home even further, James, and give us maybe a, a quick story or two about some of those things you alluded to with uh, arresting, handcuffing people, or even you know some of the crazy cyber attacks that you've seen? Yeah, no, absolutely. There, um, unfortunately, you know, with a with a, a history or twenty two years of experience doing this, there's there's no lack of stories. <laughs> I think uh, a couple of the ones there's there's some classified stuff out there that I couldn't talk about, uh, but certainly the. Um, you know, a couple of them come to mind. I've, I've actually, one of the very first botnets, and, and botnets are, are a huge problem today, um, right? The, the little zombie computers out there that have been taken over by malware, and certainly the bot farms that are run by, by threat actors. Well, uh, when I was the uh, supervisory special agent running the cyber task force in Cincinnati, uh, we actually took down one of the Bureau's very first botnet cases. And so, it was uh, it was a guy who uh, was an enterprising Ohio State University student who had a, about a 2,000, 2,200 square foot house north of Columbus. And uh, we had all these IP addresses that were coming back you know, to one house in one place. Uh, and there was just a ton of illegal activity going on on all of these different computers that were coming back to one place. And so we, right, we do what we do, right? We did surveillance. We you know, investigated everything. And again, it all came back to the one house. And so imagine, right, we roll up for the search warrant and uh, we, we show up to the to this house that we've been doing surveillance on. And it's a, just a real single family house in a nice neighborhood. Uh, but there are air conditioning units hanging off of every window and even some of like the back door that was that was converted into an air conditioning unit as well, right? In my my world, I call that a clue. <laughs> right. So, so we roll into this place, we execute the search warrant thinking we're going to have what, 20, 30 computers. Uh, there were 468 computers, I think, in this house. Um, they were on the counters, they were on the floor, they were in the bed, um, you name it. Uh, they were, and that was, that was the first, you know, bot farm. It was 468 computers all, all coming back to that same IP address. And it was it was the middle of winter when we executed the search warrant. All the air conditioning units are running. It's like thirty degrees outside, <laughs> but it was like ninety degrees inside. Wow! I mean, just just crazy. And we interviewed the neighbors uh, and said, you know, hey, did you see anything weird? Right? Did anything strike you as uh, as odd? And they're like, no, no, he's a really nice kid. He was always nice to us. And like, it didn't matter that there were air conditioning units on every window and every door 
No, no, we just thought he was a nice guy. <laughs> what a great story. Leave the best of people, I guess. You can't make that stuff up, right? <laughs> truth, truth is stranger than fiction. The people of Columbus are too kind to one another. <laughs> yeah, yeah, clearly. Yeah. The um, uh, question I wanted to, to ask you, James, is... I guess focus around, uh, you know, you mentioned how you speak to boards every day, right? And for boards, they need to be able to understand ultimately in the organization, you know, what's worth protecting. And, you know, the old security as, you know, if you try to protect everything, you end up protecting nothing very well. So how do you guide boards through the process of identifying what's what needs to be protected or even establishing their sort of their cyber risk uh, uh, tolerances? So it's, it's, it's really that it is the, that, that is the critical question, right? So, um, and I asked that question to both the, the C-suite, the CISO, the CIO, and the board as well, because not necessarily all the time are they actually on the, you know, the, the same page. And when I sit with boards, I talk in terms of, you know, talk to me about, do you understand what the, let's say, I call it my top 10 list. What are the top 10 critical business applications that run your business, right? So when I'm the CIO of the FBI, I can tell you what my top, you know, 10 or 20 applications that we ran um, every day that ran the business of the FBI. So I look at the board and say, do you want, do you know wh who, what those top 10 applications are? Do you know where the data goes for those top 10 applications, right? If you build something, if you're a manufacturer, if you're financial services, whatever, right? You can easily identify Right. What are those? What are those top areas? Uh, and then you got to drill down to right. What is? How, what do you do with that data? Right. Where do you store it? Do you encrypt it? Do you back it up? How often? Right. All of those really critical conversations. Um, and I usually harken back to uh, another case that I ran, where it really kind of drives the point home. Um, I ran a uh, a case where there was a pharmaceutical company that was breached, and and we're sitting there. In I interviewed a bunch of people. I interviewed the CEO and the CIO, right? So interview the CIO and ask him what what are their crown jewels, right? What are you trying to protect? He's like, we're a pharmaceutical company, right? It's formularies. We spend billions of dollars every year on these formularies. They're locked away in that that data center over there, right? It's all segmented, air gapped. We're good to go. I'm like, all right, ten four. So I asked the CEO that question. He pauses for about 20 seconds. Um, and then he looks at me and says, look, I know we're a pharmaceutical company. Um, he said, but turn around and look. He said, look out that window. So you see that building right there? So yeah, he's like, there's a nuclear reactor in that building. So we make nuclear medicines. He said, if the data gets out about how that nuclear reactor works, if someone, if that gets in the wind, and threat actors are actually, or our, our competitors are actually able to change just the most minute aspects of the radiation as it applies to that particular, that particular, um, you know, medicine. He said that's a business killer, right? Or if someone gets the information and access to it, blows it up, right? That's a business killer. He said we would never, we would never survive that. He said, look, I, I know we're a pharmaceutical, right? We spend billions on formularies, but. But I can, we can survive the monetary aspect of the, of, you know, of losing the formularies. And, the, and I tell that story to boards because two very uh, amazing individuals, lots of experience, well-traveled, uh, great educations, they didn't answer that question the same way, oh, right? Wow. And so you really need to be on that same page to be able to understand really what are the crown jewels from your individual standpoint 
And then you need to put your heads together because you need to protect the same thing. Well, uh, you, you illustrate that so well with, with, with that story there, James. I mean, that, that's extremely profound. And you know, my, so my follow-up to that, and it's um, somewhat related, is with boards that may view cybersecurity as a tech issue or IT issue or say, well, can't we just buy a you know a tech tool to, to deal with this? How, how do you get them past that and see have them see it more as a business issue? I mean, much of what you said earlier, I mean, w would apply, but how do you get them past, at least in, with some boards who just see it purely as an IT issue? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really difficult with some boards, right? Some boards are, are you know, individuals that, let, let me just say, are, are more looking at this more as a profit and loss, right? They're looking at strictly the P&L, mm -hmm. uh, what is the shareholder value uh, at the, of, of whatever company is and whatever it is that they do. Um, most of the time when I get those really directed questions, uh, I'm able to provide some, from some examples of, you know what, there were this case, this case, and that case. Here are actual FBI cases, actual cyber attacks that there was actual P&L loss, right? There was such... Um, an absolute uh, attack on both the critical infrastructure of that company, right, and and the actual value, right. So there's some some big examples out there. Um, you know, Marriott SPG, right, from a merger acquisition. There's um, a number of different uh, cases where I can actually show the the loss of shareholder value and certainly the loss of of P and L because of a cyber attack. When you start to have those conversations at that level, when you start to relate it to, right, you know, IT is not a cost center anymore. Gone are those days where you can look at IT and cyber and think that it's just a cost center, right? Right now, it's a business enabler because if you don't do these things, right, you're not going to be in business. Very well said. I want to switch gears, James, a little bit over to insurance, if that's okay with you, and just dive into a couple of aspects there. And I think about managing cyber risk, and I think about what cyber insurance does. I tend to think that not all cyber risks are insurable risks. And uh, so for those organizations that are just looking kind of as a, a one-size-fits-all or insurance solves solves the cyber risk equation uh, I, I think of things like you know your reputation or loss of customers as examples of things where you know the insurance is designed to make you whole until your customers come back but it can't actually enforce that reality and make the make the clients or customers or business partners come back what are your thoughts on that subject yeah, so so I've, I've I've spoken a lot and I've written a number of articles uh, and been interviewed a lot by the media on the whole concept of of insurance and and as a right as a recovering lawyer as I as I described earlier I've I've had a tremendous amount of both my legal practice experience with with insurance and insurance um, aspects like the underwriting all of those issues um, and when you put that in the context of cyber uh, so. Cyber insurance was this novel thing, you know, eight, nine, 10 years ago when everybody thought, well, you know, cyber is becoming a thing. And for those who got it, like, okay, you know, we should probably have cyber insurance. The unfortunate part is that most of the actual carriers had very little understanding of what cyber really was, right? They had no idea, right, what the really downside was. They didn't understand the threat actors, they didn't understand their motivations. So they're writing these policies 
And then all of a sudden, we have situations where you're you're actually hit by a nation state or otherwise, and you are you're down, right? You're down hard, um, and it is you know hundreds of thousands of millions, tens of millions of dollars in actual damages, not just to your reputation, but and it's also it's also the piece of not just you, right? There may be loss of customers, but now you got to now you have to talk about third parties, both upstream and downstream from your organization, right? Vendors, customers, clients. Uh, partners, right? Your your impact, an impact of a cyber attack on you, has a ripple effect out to steps three, four, and five uh, to these other organizations. And unfortunately, cyber insurance carriers uh, found out very quickly, especially in the last three years, right, that this is this is not necessarily the best uh, business proposition out there because they're losing, they're paying out tons and tons of money. So they started in the last couple of years to really start to understand the the basics, right? What kind of cyber hygiene does a company have? How do you make certain that it's one of those, you know, they're making certain that their underwriters are asking the questions and and verifying that you have some, some, you're doing at least the basics. Um, But now that's gotten even more complicated, right? Lloyd's of London came out three weeks ago or a month ago and basically made a statement to their, their affiliates that, you know, you will not. Um, you will not underwrite any further uh, insurance claims or or pay out any claims where a nation state is attributable as the the actual you know, victimization here. So if a, if a company that is insured has been victimized by a nation state actor, they're not going to cover it, right? And I, I have a, a really hard time with that because having worked this at the ground grassroots level, right? Attribution to an actual nation state. Right to an actual person behind a keyboard that's actually sitting in, you know, the the, the Politburo or you know sitting in, you know, the the SVR in in Russia is really really difficult. And sometimes it takes you know not just months, but it takes years to actually you know attribute that to those particular nation states. Now, yeah, there are forensics. There's a, a number of classified ways to do that, right? But those those sources and methods are not going to be utilized you know, in a, in a civil commercial area, right. In order to determine attribution. So I think there's, there's going to be kind of a reckoning coming with, with these insurance companies uh, because you, one, they they can't show that it was, or it wasn't attributable to a nation state. Um, And it really puts them in a quandary, but it, it really, it really now hurts the insured, right? So the companies themselves who are trying to use insurance as that Let's buy down risk in the following areas, right? And that's what, from a company standpoint, that's really what this is, right? And cyber insurance is not the end-all, beat-all, right? And I hope that, that they understand that it, it lessens the risk in certain areas, right? It buys down or spreads that risk along a certain continuum. But it is unfortunately changing at an alarming rate, especially with what Lloyd's put out. Mm-hmm. So nation states, if they can it can get attribution, is no longer an insured peril, according to Lloyd's of London. It's kind of a kind of an interesting thing. It's way more nuanced than what I'm sure that uh, they had originally thought. I also think too, you know, one other just kind of side note here is if something is attested to on an insurance application, but it isn't actually a reality. And then it's possible that the insurance claim, or I should say almost certain that the insurance claim will not get paid out. So that is something to think about from a, from the actual company, from the insured's standpoint as well. 
Oh, um, ab- absolutely. And you even had threat actors out there. I've worked cases where right threat actors get the whole conversation about insurance, right? And they'll, as they go through your system and they go through your ecosystem and they start to dive into your fi- files, they're actually looking for whether or not you're insured, mm-hmm. right? I've actually had cases where they go and they find the declarations page for your cyber insurance uh, policy. And when they send you, and when they lock down your system and execute the, the ransomware, they actually put the ransomware banner up there with a picture of your declarations page, right? That says, hey, we know you're insured. Yeah. We know you're insured for this much. Yeah. So let's just cut to the chase and pay it. Wow. Very, very crazy. So just to wrap up then the insurance uh, discussion here, when I think about uh, cyber insurance, where in your opinion does that fit into the picture because you're talking about it's a way to buy down and spread your risks um to me it's risk transfer would that would that be something that organizations should start with when they're managing their cyber risk or are there maybe other things that they should do before uh transferring the residual risk yeah no that's a great point uh, the whole concept of of insurance right spreading risk transferring risk so if if you're able to if you're able to have a good what I consider when I when I talk to boards I balance the conversation of of cyber insurance and transferring or spreading that risk with their internal response and resilience capability right so if if you're an organization that actually has um, you you have you know you back up your files you encrypt your data both in transit and at rest you back it up often and you back it up and then you actually save it in offline backups. You actually have sat down and mapped out um, where, you know, what are those 10 top 10 applications? Where is that data go? What is the, what are those business critical applications? So if you map that all out, it's not a question of, you know, so when you get hit, it's not a question of if it's when, so when you get hit and when you're attacked, your response is, is so practiced and it's okay. Right. You get the checklist out, these, you know, the threat actors hit these systems and these applications are down, boom. You know, they're, you know, we, we pull those server blades, we we move and re, recalibrate those, rebaseline those, right? We reload everything back on, right? And then you're, you're, you're back online. Um, and so it's your ability to have not only built in that, that muscle memory with either cyber war gaming and, and looking and practicing this, so that it's it's not a crisis, right? You don't want to you don't want to learn how to you know build the 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 wings on an airplane while you're trying to fly it, right? Same concept here with you know, with with cyber, right? Don't don't talk about try to figure out resilience after your you know after you're already attacked. So you spread that conversation out between um, resilience and response, and then that whole conversation about how much cyber insurance you need to spread the remaining risk is a much easier conversation to have. It's a much directed conversation and certainly a much cheaper one as well. James, I can say with 100% confidence that you're the best ex-lawyer we've ever had on the show. Uh, this has been an absolutely brilliant conversation. The, the insight, the stories, the narratives you shared. Uh, I mean, this is one that I think Christian and I are going to be listening to again and again. This was an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast today. Uh, it's been been my pleasure. Love to do it again. Absolutely, awesome. James. James, you're welcome back anytime. And uh, uh, Christian and I will be right back to uh, wrap up today's episode. 
Optiv is the cyber advisory and solutions leader, delivering strategic and technical expertise to nearly 6,000 companies across every major industry. We partner with organizations to advise, deploy, and operate complete cybersecurity programs from strategy and managed security services to risk integration and technology solutions. At Optiv, we manage cyber risk so you can secure your full potential. For more information, visit Optiv.com. This week's episode of Cybersecurity Matters is brought to you by TELUS Business. The 2022 TELUS Canadian Ransomware Study highlights and busts some common myths about ransomware. One of the more common myths is that robust backups are a reliable way to recover from an incident. The study data shares a different story. Threat actors are increasingly using multiple extortion, with 63% of ransomware victims experiencing a multiple extortion attack, meaning their data was encrypted, exfiltrated, and held for ransom. In this new reality, backups can only solve half the problem, restoring your systems, but that cannot help recover any exfiltrated data. So while backups can be a useful tool within your overall recovery plan, proactively investing in ransomware controls to prevent and minimize the impact of an incident is a much more effective way to manage your risk. To learn more about how ransomware is impacting organizations like yours, visit telus.com slash ransomware study to get your free copy today. TELUS Business, cybersecurity that works for you. That was an incredible conversation. The, I mean, the just the stories that James shared, like the the just the visceral reactions I got to those stories were incredible. I can only imagine the countless stories he must have over the course of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm curious to what one of your key takeaways. Yeah, were. for sure. The, the 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 young man with the air conditioners <laughs> in Ohio and the uh, pharmaceutical company, very very cool. And I know he's got more, so we're definitely going to do a part two there. I think what is what I kind of the bottom line outcome for me is that. In the insurance industry is still really trying to figure out cyber insurance. Uh, they don't have all the answers, but they're starting to realize that, and uh, they're looking for how do you actually manage and reduce risk. Uh, absolutely, and we want to extend a special thank you to James for joining us on the podcast today. And as, as always, we want to uh, send a special thank you to our sponsors, uh, Optiv and Telus, for sponsoring today's episode of the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. And to our loyal listeners and viewers, thank you for joining us each and every week. If you did happen to miss a previous ep- episode, do check out the Cybersecurity Matters YouTube page and or listen on your favorite podcasting platform. Until next time, be well, be safe, and we'll see you again once again on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast.